I'm glad you felt free to clap because uh, that's just acknowledging the work of God through you, um, Garrett and Amherst. We're so grateful. Um, sitting here and, and listening to Lindsay, and I don't mean this to in any way. I, uh, well, I just want to say this. It's intimidating sometimes as a pastor to stand beside someone who comes up like Lindsay does, and she's just so gifted a communicator in sharing some truths. And um, I'm so grateful, Lindsay, for your doing that and for your sharing your gifts. And <clears throat> what she had said is really true. Every one of you are gifted. Every one of you have the Spirit of God who is speaking to you and, and is calling you and drawing you to be a part of his story we're really good, I'm really good at writing my story, but we all have gifts to be used in different ways, not just in the church, in lives with other people where he wants to kind of take the pen in your life and to kind of help you write his story in ways where you see him work in marvelous ways. So I want to say thank you to the team who led in worship and to Lindsay and to Gay for a faithful service. We're going to talk sometime a little bit later in one of the messages on silent servants. <laughs> There's silent servants who do incredible things. And then I just, these are one of the silent servant kind of people. This directory, some of you will see as you're coming in, there's a directory available. I'm so grateful for Kathy Kleinschmidt and Dee Sandberg, Marsha Callaher and Lois Redeen who kind of pulled that together, got hosts. Some of you have served in that way. Thank you for putting it together. It's just a wonderful t- gift and tool because we are talking about three things very important to this church. People say, what do you want me to do if you start attending and you're, you're maybe been attending for a while? We, we just say three things that are important, three uh, incredible pillars in our life, which is worship, what you're doing, community, building authentic relationships, and that's what that directory will help us do. It is a tool to help that. And then to serve, which we've been talking about. And that's what we're going to talk about now as well. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, with me. And I want you to read this verse with me because it's the key verse for this whole series. I'm speaking on this week. Next week, Peter's capture is going to come and he's going to speak on this about what it means to love like Jesus. Um, and uh, I'm excited for Peter to come because that's an area that he's really trying to grow in. Um, that's a joke. <laughs> Uh, and, and so we're talking about becoming like Jesus today. And so this scripture, I'd love for you to memorize this. There are some things to lock into your head and to lock into your being that come up at times when the Spirit of God needs that to come forward. And this is one of those that I think is very important. It keeps you on mission, on task. And so let's read it together. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My paraphrase is simply this. What gives me life is to please God. That's kind of a simple paragraph. You get a paraphrase of that. I'm going to read to you these scriptures. I'm going to ask you to keep standing as I read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, because that's what we're going to look at this week. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, very famous well. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take these words and and help us to understand more fully what it means to become like Jesus, to be 
in your eyes, whatever it takes kind of servants for you. Thank you for your presence here, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to read to you a paraphrase from um, Eugene Peterson's The Message, and and I I want you to, to hear this because I think he does a really good job of helping bring out some of the nuances of this passage of Scripture. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptism that he and John performed. I love that. Although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. So he wants to make sure this wasn't Jesus who was doing it. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him in, him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Gian countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, here's our paraphrases. If you go to the original, it's, it's not he had to, it's a now he had to. So there's a little bit different. So that's why when you read paraphrases, it's always good to go back to a more um, standard translation that is a more of a verse-by-verse, word-by-word translation, like NIV, NASB, others such as that. Speaking quickly, like New International Version, New American Standard Version, there's other ones as well. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. And it was noon. What I want you to notice as we look at these verses, there's four commitments that I think are very important to understand that you see in the life of Jesus. So if we're going to become like Jesus, if we're going to become whatever it takes kind of servants, these commitments are important. And so here are the four commitments that I find in this passage of Scripture that we'll look at briefly this morning. The first is, I will grow up to be like Jesus. It's a commitment that says, I will be faithful to what God assigns me. It is a commitment, I will obey Jesus no matter what. And it's a commitment, I will take care of me so that I can take care of others. Now, those might be hard commitments to remember by the phrase, so I'm going to give you some words that are pretty simple that can kind of sum them up. The first commitment is grow up. The second one is what Lindsay had been talking a little bit about, show up. I, I, don't, I didn't give you my message, and you had about two of them in there. Grow up, show up. And then, then the word that I, is, it is step up. Lindsay's talking about step in, but I, in this, step up. Because sometimes you have to step up. It's a courageous thing to do. And then the last is tune up. And so we'll go through what this means to be a whatever-it-takes servant. I don't know if any of you have spent time with a baby recently. Raise your hand if you've spent some time with a baby recently. Okay, I have I have a grandson, and it's been one of those experiences refreshing what it's like to have a little baby. And seriously, I am just amazed at what total consumers they are. I mean, seriously, all you needed to do to develop this consumer society is look at a baby. They wake up, and they want to be fed, or they want to be changed, or they want to be held. And then they fall asleep. And then they wake up. And they want to be fed, or they want to be changed, or they want to be held. And then they fall asleep. And it's total—it's just total consumption. And you'd think after a few months, they'd grow out of this consumeristic mindset, right? You kind of think, and after maybe six months or so, they're going to kind of leave that. But in six months to a year, they're really not. They still want you to prepare their meals, to cut up their food, to help them walk. I mean, you name all kinds of things. I mean, my little grandson will come up to me and he'll be about so tall to my knee and he'll just sit there and go like this, which means pick me up and he wants me to carry him from point A to B. And he'll get in my arms and he'll go, bah! 
like I'm a, a Lyft or an Uber. <laughs> I am a literal Lyft, I guess. And so he does that, and, and, and it's amazing to me, even at a year and a half, he's still this major consumer. I'll be playing uh, uh, with him, or if you take a child and you start playing a toy with them, I start getting into it, and within a few seconds, they're bored and going to something else. Their attention spans are like as long as ours are. And then when they're tired, they expect you to put them down to sleep, and on and on it goes. They're experts. Here, catch us. They're experts at receiving more than they give. They're experts at receiving more than they give. Because that's what it means to be a baby. That's what it means to be a child. That's what it means often to be immature. In fact, it's part and parcel to the whole process of growing up. And the goal of parenting is to lead children to maturity. The goal of parenting throughout that time is to move them from uh, consumers. It's all about me mindset. Think about it. It's all about me. The the book that was one of the best sellers, and it's incredible, was A Purpose Driven Life, written by Rick Warren. And the first words that start out, it's not about you. Why? Because we all need to be told that. Because we all live, we're just created this way. It's our own viewpoint. We all live with this kind of me mindset. But the whole process of raising a child is to move them from a it's about me mindset to becoming mature, responsible adults, living loving and productive lives. A loving contributor, a servant for the good of others, rather than a mere self-centered consumer, making other servants the good of me. And God allows for us to see this in the physical realm. You could say, in a sense, there are a period of time the purpose of children is to receive more than they give. That's just, that's the way it goes. But the purpose of an adult is to give more than they receive. And it's true in the, the physical realm, but it's also true in the spiritual realm. The whole idea is you look in the para, spiritual, in the physical realm is a parent be, has a child, the child grows, becomes an adult, mature parent, has a child, and on and on the process goes. If you look in the spiritual realm and you look at the, what the word of God has to say, you look at Jesus, the servant leader. He takes followers like you and me and begins to create disciples, those who will follow and do these kind of commitments, live these kind of commitments, so they'll become whatever it takes, servants, so that as they grow to a point and they become servant leaders, they turn around and they do the same thing with other people. Every person in this room who says that they are a follower of Jesus, that's the expectation. That's our expectation as a church, as elders, is that we will be people, because if you look at the end of Matthew, when Jesus stands with the Great Commission, he says, you guys are ready now. I am sending you out. Now, I understand that in a church situation, there are people that are at different points in their spiritual journey. We all are. And none of us do this perfectly. I am not in any way trying to tell you that I am at the end of that process of a whatever it takes servant. I have so much to learn. We all have things to learn. That's why it's so wonderful to have the grace and forgiveness and the mercy of God. That's why we're in community to learn how to do that with one another. Just imagine a healthy community, if you could, where people could come and, and with their woundedness they've had in family situations or whatever at work, whatever, they could come and they could learn how to grow in ways that they could go back to those places and become one who's becoming a disciple, servant, leader, and helping others become the same. None of us do this perfectly. And so we need grace and, and, and mercy. So I, the, the idea is, is to move into these commitments where you say, I will grow up, I will show up, 
I will step up when God calls me to, and I will tune up. I will remain in a place where I can be used. None of us do these perfectly. My daughter was little, my eldest daughter. I used to kind of sit by her bed, and I would tell her stories. I love to just make up stories. And then, and then at certain points, we'd go to pray. And I know from time to time, we would say some things. And one of the things I would say to her on a pretty consistent basis was, uh, Kelsey, we need a lot of forgiveness and grace with one another. We're going to need to, throughout these next number of years, have grace and forgiveness because I, you have to understand this is the first time I've ever been a parent and this is the first time you've ever been a child. God loves you like that. He understands. He understands you're a child, but he calls us to this kind of whatever it takes maturity. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. It says that John was baptizing and so was Jesus. And John makes a little paraphrase there. He wants us to know, a little parenthetical statement, that it wasn't Jesus. Because if Jesus was doing it, people would go around and they would be attaching to their to their baptism something more than what God wanted them to. He didn't he wasn't trying to create rivals. He was really using the act of baptism in a way to help people understand this first commitment. You see, baptism in that day, there were a number of them, but one of the forms of baptism that they were well aware of as Jews was that a pagan or a Gentile who wanted to enter into the Jewish faith, they would have to be baptized. They would be washed of their past life of a Gentile and pagan ways and gods, washed clean so they could enter into this new life where they would become a follower of Yahweh. Now, you have to understand that when John the baptizer, and I think it's better than John the Baptist, John the baptizer was kind of what he was known as. Hey, the baptizer's out there. They were amazed that he was over by the river baptizing. You go, why were they amazed? Because what he was doing, he was taking Jews, many who had fallen away from God, who were living immoral lives, or who had, who had just disregarded God, and, you know, like any of us, got caught up in their business and caught up in whatever they're doing. And he was saying to these people, there is an opportunity for you to grow up, to know God, to walk in this faith. And he was doing something that aroused the attention of the Pharisees because they're going, wait a second. He's having Jews be baptized that's not for Jews. We're children of God. Be like us. And I grew up in the church. I've been exposed to this. And what he was saying is, no, he's calling you to a renewed commitment. He's saying to these Jews, guess what? You need to understand that your sin separates you from God. I'm creating a pathway for Jesus to come so you can know his saving, loving power in your life. And so what I want you to do is to step forward and to recognize this statement. I am committing myself to grow up, to be a mature, godly person. The way I say it is, I will do whatever it takes in that sense because I am going to follow Jesus. I want him to begin to change my mindset from about me to what it means to be about him and about others. That's really what he's calling them to here. That's what this baptism is. It's a baptism of repentance, which is a means that it's a baptism that says, I'm, I recognize that my, my, my sin and my selfishness and my life has been caught up with me. I need your forgiveness. I want your forgiveness. I want to be cleansed so that I can begin to grow up just like a child grows up to be a mature adult. And I'm asking you, is that what you want to do? Is God speaking to your heart right now and saying, you know what? 
You might need that baptism again. I'm not talking about a literal one that we do here, but I'm talking about a baptism of his Holy Spirit, a baptism where he comes to you again and he says, guess what? You haven't been following me. You remember when you once did, but you recognize now because of where you're at, you're saying, yes, I am going to commit to grow up and become like Christ. Baptism that we do in the church is an outward sign of an inward commitment. It is a commitment that says, you know what? I wasn't living for God. I recognize that my life has sin in it and that has offended this God. But I want to come and I want to begin to follow him and I want to walk with him and I want to receive his grace and forgiveness and I want all people to know that he has saved me. Not me, not by my doing it. It's not even by your commitment to grow up. It's your receiving of his grace. And then when you receive grace, there is a commitment that comes that follows. It always follows grace. It's a commitment that says, I want to be like Jesus. I want to grow up. So that you begin to live a life that whatever you receive from God, you want to give to others. If you've been loved, you must love others. If you've been loved without having deserved that love, then you must turn around and love others who don't deserve your love. And isn't that hard? We all get excited about people's undeserved love for us. I love it when my wife forgives me when I do stupid things. But man, is it hard to give that undeserved love to people who do stupid things to me. If you receive forgiveness, then you forgive. If someone has brought you joy, you're carrying joy to others. If you've been blessed, a whatever-it-takes servant says, I want my life to be about blessing others. It's what Jesus told those who wanted to follow him and become like him. He said, it is better to give than to receive. That was said often on his lips. And in a few moments, you're going to find as he's sitting by a well, he sacrifices lunch in order to bless a woman. Whatever it takes, servant begins with the spiritual birth and then with this grace moves into a place where they say, I want to grow up and be like you, Jesus. I want not only the faith in Jesus, but here's here's a transition. I'm going to say this again and again through this series. I want only to know the faith in Jesus, but I want the faith of Jesus. There's a huge change there. Imagine a church, a group of people who all together, whatever it takes kind of servants, said, not only do we want to have faith in you, Jesus, but we want your faith. We want your faith to go into situations where you can use us to make a difference in the lives of people who are um, hurting or in conflict. We want your faith, God, because we believe that you have the ability to transform marriage relationships and families. We have the belief that you can make a difference in this area that we live. Wherever you go, I not only want to be made wise by Jesus, but I want the wisdom and understanding of Jesus flowing through me. I not only want to be amazed at the power of Jesus, but I want the people around me to be amazed at the power of Jesus flowing through me, releasing others, not because of me, but by Jesus from their bondage and their sin and their own selfishness. And imagine church that does whatever it takes to be conduits of God's power. I not only want to love Jesus, but I want the love of Jesus flowing through me. Just think if that's something that happened here. Imagine a church... A group of people doing whatever it takes, arriving at their offices or their sales meetings or whatever kind of meetings they have, businesses, schools, living in their homes with the love of Jesus. Anybody want to grow up?
Here's the thing you need to realize. Once you start making that commitment, here's some things that begin to tempt you. And that is that you move towards competition and comparison. Because as you go into this, it's a very natural thing for us. It's very much of our flesh. Consumerism actually breeds it. If you look at ads all the time, they'll tell you, you need a new car, you need a new smartphone, right? Everything. And, and it happens within us because it's just natural to us. They, they apply something natural. It happens to us spiritually. Well, look at the gifts they have. I don't have that gift. And, and look at how God uses this person. He doesn't use me like that. It's just so natural. You see it in kids all the time. Kids grow up and they go and, and, and they're in this position where they want attention. Mom, look at me. Look at me when, when you know, mom's looking at someone else. Or, or they vie for com- in comparison, not only just attention, but in comparison to one another. And they're, they're saying, you know, my brother, you know, he got a bigger piece of cake than I did. I used to, that was a big one for me. He's two years older than me. How come I don't get the flour on the frosting? Look at these next these these first three verses again. And I'm going to read it again from the paraphrase. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptism that he and John performed. See the comparison here? The need for attention? Though Jesus himself didn't do the baptizing, they had posted the score that Jesus was ahead. It just reminds me of Hazleton, you PGA, you go to the tournament, and what do they do? They here's their store, Tiger at this, and whoever it might be, right? It's all it's this funny picture of all of a sudden Jesus. 25 baptisms, John, 80. He's got a way to go, but you know. I like how he says that. They posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals. We do that by the comments we make to people. The evangelical church is notorious for this. Did you hear this speaker? Wow. You see this church? Wow. They turned each other into rivals in the eyes of the people. Because it's something the world pushes us to do, to consume, to compete. And not only that, sadly, we do it to each other. I could read to you all of John chapter 3, 25 through 30. But I'm, it, it starts out that these guys are in an argument with the Jews because of the nature of baptism. And, and I'll, I'll go ahead and read some of this. They came to John and said, Rabbi, you know one who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who... You authorize with your witness. Well, listen to their words. This is prior to this passage we're looking at. Chapter 3, we're in chapter 4. Chapter 3, prior to this, it says, well, he's now competing with us. He's baptizing too, and everyone's going to him instead of us. Kind of like, that was our, that was a really cool idea we came up with. You know, the whole baptism thing, and, and now they're doing it? And, and John just can't understand. He goes, it's not possible for a person to succeed. And I'm talking about eternal success without heaven's help. You yourselves were there when I made it public that I was not the Messiah, but simply the one sent ahead of him to get things ready. The one who gets the bride, the church, the people of God, by definition, is the bridegroom. Jesus is who he's talking about. And the bridegroom's friend himself is the best man. That's me, he says, in place at his side where he can hear every word and is genuinely happy. Because the bridegroom's friend, the best man, not to happening today, but the best man in that day, was the one who was his key, whatever it takes servant, to get things ready so he could be married to the bride. And he says, how could he be jealous, the best man, when he knows that the wedding is finished and the marriage is off to a good start? Now, here's the words I want you to listen to. That's why my cup is running over. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. And if you know, like a more traditional version, I must decrease so he must increase. 
John the Baptist is a phenomenal example to us. He basically says, I have an assignment to do. This is not about jealousy or competing. It's not about comparing myself to others. It's not about keeping spiritual score. It's simply about doing what God has assigned me. It's about being faithful to what he's assigned. It's not only about growing up, but as you grow up, it's about showing up. And showing up is one of the hardest things to do, right? When God says, hey, I've gifted you in a certain way, I want you to show up. And so he says, I want you to show up. I want you to just do what you're assigned. You don't need to compare yourself to anybody else. You don't need to compete with another person. I hear this, you guys. I know this in my own soul and my own heart. I know that it's resonating with your own heart. You are who God created you. God loves you. He put you together. He wired you. He knew you when, when you were being formed before your birth. He has given you assignments. Sometimes they can be a lifelong assignment. So don't get caught up on that. If God gives you a lifelong assignment, you'll know it and you're to move into it. Some of you, I believe, have lifelong assignments. You've been resisting it. And some of you are called to assignments and they may be mundane every day, just showing up at work and doing your best that you can. They're not gossiping, not complaining, but be an example for Jesus Christ. Some of you have assignments just to be in your home. It may be that you're for a period of time, a, a mother or a, a father who is taking care of kids. And it's your job just to do that. It's your job to show up and say, God, here I am. I'm a part of this church family. We're here to reach the West, to serve, to be whatever it takes kind of servants. I don't know, but whatever that assignment is for a period of time, it could be just like Gay who worked with children for years, or it could be for a short period of time is my guest with Lindsay in middle school. Or whatever it takes, servant makes another commitment. And it's not just to show up, but it is also to step up. Which says, I will do what Jesus tells me to do. And I'm just going to look at John 4, 4. Now, I, he had to go through Samaria, which is an interesting word. The wording is important. It's the same kind of emphasis that Mark gives in another gospel account when he says at one point in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. The word literally means the Spirit drove him. There is a sense that as he was going along, everything inside of Jesus could have gone, you know what, Jesus, no good, God-fearing Jewish person walks through Samaria. You know how unclean and holy it is? You know that we got... He doesn't. He feels this prompting strongly on his spirit. You can imagine his disciples going, no, we can't go this way. Let's go around it. The more direct path went through. It wasn't he had to go through because he had to go through because it was a shortcut. It, it, the, the standard way they all went was around it. But God was prompting him and saying, I want you to step up and... And courageously move into this place, Jesus followed him. He just he felt the prompting of God and he followed him. And some of the things that God might be prompting you to do, you're kind of going, no, it's gonna look silly if I reach out to them and call them up. I'm gonna feel foolish if I go and ask them for forgiveness. I gotta tell you, one of the things I've learned over the years, because forgiveness and asking for it is so hard, is the moment you feel that prompting, just do it. Don't even wait, because if you wait, it gets harder. I had someone recently send me something very wonderful, a mature leader, and said, you know, here's something, I didn't want to bring it up in a group, but I brought it up here, and I was so grateful, and I sent it out to the rest of the group, and just said, please forgive me, I, I just messed up here. Don't wait. Step up. 
when the prompting of the Spirit says you have to do this, do it. And what you find is so interesting. The small step of obedience that Jesus did led to an incredible harvest. Jesus, step by step, follows the Spirit leading as he's going through Samaria. Chooses to travel through Samaria. Chooses to pay attention to his tired body. Chooses to sit by a well. Chooses to talk to a woman, a Samaritan woman at that. Chooses to talk to this immoral kind of woman in the middle of the day. And this small step, as he stepped up into what God wanted him to do, paid attention even to his own tiredness, put him in a position where he had an opportunity to step up into another kind of potentially difficult conversation, and it led to a whole group of people running to him. Later in the passage, we'll read this. John, in chapter 4, 34 through 35, he says, after they say, why didn't you eat? Did you someone feed you? Whatever, etc. He goes, the food that keeps me going is that I will do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. And listen to these words. As you look around right now, she's run back, this woman, from the well, back to her town. She's left her jar. She runs back to town. Jesus says, I want you to look around. Wouldn't you say that in about four months, if you look at the harvest, it looks like it's going to be four months before harvest time, right? You know, things were kind of small. Well, I'm telling you to open up your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you because the Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. The King James Version says, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Jesus tells him, look up, because running towards him, you know, running towards them through the field was a large portion of the town wearing white robes. So it, it was literally white. And they're running towards him, and he says, look, it's ripe for harvest. Here's what he's saying. Vast fields of human souls are ripening all around us and are ready now for reaping. I believe that's true. I don't know what that, if it's going to, where that is and what that looks like, but I know the Spirit of God will make us aware and alert to what that is. And that's what we've been praying, that's what we're hungry for. So the Holy Spirit, he says, prepared in advance for this to happen. And I only have, and you only have one responsibility. That's to make this commitment to grow up, to show up, and to start, and, and, to, and to actually step up and say, okay, God, I'm going to move into this. And I'm going to ask you for one last thing to think about. And this is just a very practical thing for some of you who get really overambitious. I will take care of myself so that I will take care of others. That's what Jesus says. It's tune up. Stay tuned up in a sense. Jesus lived with an awareness that his body was the, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. His whole purpose for coming was to make us little temples of the Holy Spirit. But what I find is interesting about Jesus is how he paid attention to his body. It says in chapter 4, verse 6, Jesus, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Jesus paid attention. Think about it. If anybody didn't need to pay attention to his body, wouldn't it be the divine son of God? But yet he was fully human, and he was very much aware of the fact that this little vessel that he was walking around in was the limitation at this point in his life when he came from heaven down to earth, and that he knew that he had to care for that. For some of you to be the kind of whatever-it-takes servants you need to be, one of the most spiritual things you might need to do is get eight hours of sleep. Some of you are going, yes. 
You probably don't need it. Anyway. Some of those spiritual things you might be doing is watching the food intake that you take. And is it nutritious? This is not about trying to rage of the age of things that are going on today. This is just practical truth that God wants us to take care of our bodies. He goes, I want you to to exercise. Even if it's just a walk where you go, God, I'm going to walk for a while and I'm going to use that time just to talk to you. I'm going to use that time and just say over my head again and again, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and I'm going to finish his work. So what is my assignment? I want to grow up, God. I want to show up. I want to step up. I want to be tuned up. I want you to use every part of me. I just have fought long and hard on, and had different ways to conclude this, but I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and we're going to have the team come forward. And as we do so, I want you to just process for just a minute or so. So if you just, I, I, and the reason I say you don't have to, you do whatever you want, but if you would want to just t- take a position where you get kind of quiet, where you can kind of be in a place where you can let Jesus speak to you, And I just want you to ask that question. Have you ever answered that call and made a commitment to grow up? And it may be right now, not just a general thing. He may be calling you to a certain specific area in your life where he's saying, in this area, I want you to begin to give more than you receive. I want you to be a contributor. It could be in your marriage. It could be where you work could be in a friendship. For some of you, you may need to say for the very first time, and God is working right now as he's moving in your spirit and he's speaking to you. He's just saying, say to me, Jesus, today, this moment, I'm done seeking to please me. I want to please you with my entire life. If that resonates in your heart, I just... Just repeat these words. Jesus, in your heart, before the Lord. Jesus, today, at this moment, I'm done seeking to please me. I'm here to grow up and please you. For some of you, the Spirit of God has been telling you this is not about competition. Quit comparing yourself. Quit being paralyzed and not showing up because you don't feel good enough. This is not about that. Begin to say, okay, God, you're calling me to show up. Sometimes showing up is the hardest thing to do. Nobody... Well, there's a lot of times you don't feel like getting up and showing up anywhere, right? God is saying, quit judging, quit allowing yourself to be judged. Let me heal your wounds. Show up. And there may be some of you, when I was speaking about that little step of obedience, don't miss it, because there could be a huge harvest, all kinds of fruit, if you were just to step up into this. Just say, Jesus, yes, I'm going to do that today. Today, I'm going to take that step. It's, it will require courage. It will require commitment tomorrow or the next day when you do it. But, but just tell him, now I've made that commitment. And then for some of you, this that simple thing, if you just need to take care of this temple of the Holy Spirit, and he's just saying, keep it tuned up. Father, I just thank you, I praise you, and I ask that you would be working in our hearts, in our church. We are hungry to do what only you can do. We want to be vessels where our deepest desire, our life, the things that give us life, is doing what you will. We pray this in Christ's name.